well, to all of you here in the basement and maybe other rooms here I'm not sure of, uh, but at home as well. It is such a delight uh, to be here on this year Mission Sunday. Um, in case some of you are wondering, is this really a Canadian accent that we've got here today? I just want to be upfront and say I'm Irish Canadian, proud to be Irish Canadian. Uh, was born and raised in the north of Ireland, left there when there was the Troubles, where Catholics and Protestants were killing each other, and uh, came to Canada. Uh, a year after um, my wife and I were married, Sheila is Canadian, uh, we went to uh, Kenya as short-term missionaries back in the 80s. Short-term missionaries uh, was two years, um, not two weeks. Uh, and so we lived in Kenya for seven years. Our kids were born there, moved to Tanzania, and uh, helped to start a theological school uh, in Tanzania. My claim to fame is I speak Swahili with an Irish accent, and people still understood what I was saying. Uh, so uh, I work at the Intercultural Ministry Center at Tyndale and with Lausanne, uh, Canada. And uh, our theme uh, is um, the church from all nations, uh, bringing Christ uh, to all nations. And my message this morning, the theme of my message will be blessed uh, to be a blessing. You know, a while back I was facilitating a seminar at a large missions conference in Toronto. And I began by sharing this quote by a famous preacher, John Piper. Uh, John Piper was explaining why missions. And he said, mission exists because worship doesn't. And I was explaining to this group at the seminar how God created the nations of this world and he loves them and he desires for them to worship the one true and living God. And if all the nations and people worshiped God, there would be no need for missions. Well, suddenly a man stood up and with quite a bit of emotion in his voice said to me, Mr. Cousins, I disagree with what you're saying. I paused for a moment and wondered what is the problem? And he said, the only reason that we have nations, ethnic diversity and languages is because of sin, because of the fall, because of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Now I wonder what you would have said in response to that man. Well, I paused for a moment and I responded, sir, I don't know about you, but when I read Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, it says, Around the throne will be people from every nation and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And then I asked this man this question. If heaven is going to be like this, was diversity, cultural and ethnic diversity, always God's plan A from the beginning of time or was it plan B because plan A failed? Think about that. That would be a good question to discuss in a Sunday school class. Friends, I believe it's so important how we answer that question. Because if we believe cultural and ethnic 
Diversity is a result of sin, the fall, and the Tower of Babel. Surely it's going to have a negative impact on how we engage in mission of blessing the nations. So for a few moments this morning, I want to share why I believe our God delights in diversity. Well, first we want to see that God in his very own being celebrates diversity. Our God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what an example of unity demonstrated through diversity in the triune Godhead. And then in Genesis 1 and 2 we read that God created a world full of different plants and animals. No two were the same. And we are told that God looked at his creation and what did God say? It is what? Good. It is good. And then God created Adam. And he looked at Adam and he said, this is not good. Why? Because Adam was not complete until he created Eve as his companion. And God looked at this diversity in human beings and said, it was good? No. He said what? It is very good. You see, friends, all of this, I believe, affirms that before the fall and sin entered this world, God delighted in creating diversity in this world. Diversity, I believe, is part of the DNA of God's beautiful creation. And then you will remember, God said this to the people that he created. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. Now please note that this command was part of God's creational mandate before the fall. And I personally believe, you may not agree, but I personally agree that, that if they had obeyed this command, diversities of people would have developed as part of God's plan A. Now we all know what happened. People decided to willfully disobey God's command. And instead they said, let us build a city with a tower that reaches up to heaven. And what was the purpose? To make a name for ourselves and not be scattered. Friends, just as in the garden, people wanted to live independently and not in obedience and submission to their creator God. And look what happened. Genesis 11, 8 and 9 says, So the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. That is why it is called Babel, for there the Lord confused the language of the world. And from that place the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Yes, their languages were confused. But I want you to see 
that twice in these verses it says the Lord scattered them. I believe if people had to obeyed God and filled the earth, they would have scattered because of obedience. But here God scatters them not because of obedience, but because of their disobedience. And the result is that the creation of diversity, which I believe was always God's plan A. You know, friends, this morning I hope and trust that you see that the Bible teaches that our God celebrates diversity. And that means so should we. Some time back, I was in my local grocery store and I was joining the lineup to check out. There was a lineup there and in front of me was an older ca Caucasian man. And he turned around and he looked at me and he said something that shocked me. He said, wow, another white man? I was shocked. Why would he say such a thing? You see, here was a man who grew up in Toronto when it was called Toronto the Good. Now it's called Diversity is Our Strength. And he was a part of the white dominant culture. Now he's a visible minority. Like I'm a visible minority. But by his attitude, friends, it would seem that he was neither happy or open in celebrating diversity. Now here's the, the point I'm getting at here. If we are to be on mission with God to bless the nations, then we must be a people who celebrates diversity. And you can say amen at any time in my message. Okay? And I'm a fellowship Baptist. Now look what God does after the Tower of Babel. He chooses one man, Abraham, and he says this to him, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all the nations and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Think of this. God wants to bless you and me just like he blessed Abraham. And for what purpose? That you and I might bring God's blessing of salvation to the nations. Amen? Oh, good. You know, I just love the way the psalmist puts this in a beautiful song to be sung. Listen to what it says, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. For what purpose? That your ways may be known on earth. Your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Friends, can you see that mission is rooted in the worship of the one true and living God? And this is firmly grounded, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. Or think about John the Apostle. 
He had toiled all of his life in missions. And now he's an old man, lonely on the island of Patmos. And God allows him to get a glimpse into what heaven will be like. And this is what he saw. He said, after this I looked, and there before me was a multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They cried out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, God was saying, John, this is what mission is all about. It's about lifting up Jesus so that men, women, and children from every nation might become true worshipers of the King of Kings. And so on this Mission Sunday, my friends, God is reminding you and me this morning that we engage in mission so that people from every nation will worship the one true and living God. But if the why of mission is worship, what about the where of mission? Now, in an evangelical church like this, you've heard so many sermons preached on Matthew 28:19, go and make disciples of all nations, or Acts 1, verse 8, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Much emphasis has rightly been put on reaching the nations in far-off places around the world. And many of those nations, Christians are coming here to Canada and planting churches. Amen. However, this morning, I won't intentionally focus on overseas missions. Instead, I want to focus on wonderful new opportunities that God is bringing right here on our doorstep. You know, one day... Jesus took his disciples on a short-term mission trip. And you remember when he reached his destination, he turned and he looked at his disciples and he said this, I tell you, open your eyes. The fields are white or ripe unto harvest. Now, when do we usually hear these words quoted? Usually when there's a call for, for Christians to consider missions to, to the far-off ends of the of the earth. But let me ask you a question. Where was Jesus when he said these words? Jesus was in Samaria, in a place that was geographically close but culturally distant. And did his disciples want to go to Samaria? No. You see, most Jews would have preferred going halfway around the world to live among pagans than to live up close with those Sumerians. I tell people if there had been a 407 bypass from Jerusalem to Galilee, the disciples would have taken it to avoid contact with the people of Samaria. My friends, here is one of the major changes in contemporary missions in Canada. You don't need a visa or a passport to engage in hard to reach people. And someone has called this the Samaria principle, the Samaria principle. You know, Jesus said, be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and Judea, which is geographically close and culturally close. He said, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, which is geographically distant and culturally distant. But Samaria, Samaria is geographically close and culturally distant. Here's a picture. I asked people, where do you think this picture was taken? Well, it wouldn't have been taken in Morocco or Turkey because you're not allowed to dress like that in those countries. Where was this picture taken? Not far from here, in a place called Thorncliffe Park, just south of the, the Science Center. Here, there are 35 high-rise building apartments holding over 25,000 people. 80% are Muslims from Pakistan and Afghanistan. You see, friends, to be involved in global missions, as I said, we don't need a passport. We don't need a visa. We don't even need to worry about a vaccine passport. Or maybe I got that wrong. Instead, you only have to walk across the street or travel 30 minutes or an hour from your church. But let me ask you a personal question. You don't have to answer this, by the way. Is it easier to put a check in the offering plate to support a missionary way over in some distant country or to walk across the street to engage the Hindu, the Muslim, or the Sikh, or the secular person? How many in our churches will sign up for short-term missions to reach the Somalis in Rexdale, the Afghanis or Pakistanis in Thorncliffe Park, the Iranians in North York? You see, friends, Jesus took his disciples on a short-term mission trip for a lesson in cross-cultural mission. He was saying to them, people, open your eyes. Look around you. The fields are, are right, are white unto harvest. And friends, I believe the Lord is saying this to you and me living in the greater Toronto area. I think the words of the Apostle Paul are for us today. Listen, the Apostle Paul said these words to the people in Athens. He said, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places they should live. It's no accident, friends that God is bringing over 200 nations to live on our doorstep. But for why? For what purpose? Look what it says. God did this so that men should seek him and perhaps reach out and find him. It's no accident that we're living in one of the most multicultural cities of the world. Here is an opportunity to lift our eyes and to see the mission field right here on our doorstep. Some of you may say, but Pastor Robert, we're a missionary church. We believe that God calls us 
to bless the nation on our doorstep. And I would agree. Yes, many Christians and churches believe this. But friends, it's going to require intentionality in moving out of our cultural comfort zone to cross cultural boundaries with the good news of the gospel. Let me quickly remind you of the two most prominent churches in the New Testament. The church in Jerusalem and, and the church in Antioch. Now you will remember the church in Jerusalem was blessed by God. Look at those things. They had seen the risen Christ. They had experienced the blessing of Pentecost. They saw and experienced the miracles of the apostles. They were blessed with mass conversions, 3,000 in one day. They had the apostles as their leaders. They experienced wonderful fellowship. This was a church truly blessed of God. But friends, there was one big weakness of the church in Jerusalem. They were not excited. They were not motivated to share the blessing of the gospel to people who were not like them. And you remember what God had to do? He brought a persecution. And they were, they were scattered out of Jerusalem. And look what happened. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Listen to this. Spreading the word only among Jews. Notice, even after being scattered, some of these Jewish believers wanted to share the good news only with people like themselves, fellow Jews. There was no passion or intentionality to share God's blessing with people different from themselves. And here, here is a sad reality. It is possible to live in the most multicultural city of the world and still only want to hang out with people like ourselves. But thanks be to God, not all who were scattered were like this. Listen to what happened. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And look what happened. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Notice the intentionality. Others took and shared the gospel to the Gentiles living in Antioch. And you know what happened? Don't miss this important truth. It says the Lord's hand was with them. I find this so encouraging. Yes, we need to be intentional in blessing the nations. But be assured that the Lord's hand will be with us and he will bring forth the fruit of our labors. The church in Antioch, friends, became the first multicultural church in the New Testament made up of people of different cultures. They were a church with multicultural, diverse leaders. And look how the church in Antioch is described. 
It says the disciples were first called Christians where? In Antioch. And I asked myself, why were they called Christians in Antioch and not in Jerusalem? Well, I think it was because it was in Antioch that this promise of Jesus was fulfilled. Where Jesus said, by this the world will know you're my disciples because of the love that you have one for another. You see, when people from different cultural backgrounds come together, the world is seeing that Christ breaks down the wall of hostility that separates Jews and Gentiles, one ethnicity from another. And friends, the world needs to see this today. The world needs to see the love of Jesus demonstrated through unity in diversity. And then the last thing, very important, we see about the church in Antioch is this. It was from Antioch that the first global missionary movement took place. Acts chapter 13, they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out on their first missionary journey. Why? Because this church in Antioch had a vision to see the blessing that they had experienced to be shared with the nations of the world. Friends, it's no accident. The nations are on our doorstep. And I believe God wants us to seize this moment to reach the nations with the good news of the gospel. And by reaching the nations in Toronto, we will be impacting missions globally where the diaspora, those scattered, will go back and share the good news back in their home countries. So why mission? It's all about worshiping the one true and living God. Where missions? It must start in Samaria with the people who are geographically close to us but culturally distant and go to the ends of the earth. And finally, who is a missionary? Well, if we had time, we could open up the word and look at Acts 10, but you know it. It's a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. And you know the story. God was working in the lives of two very different men. One was Cornelius, a Gentile who was a, a centurion in the Roman Empire, Roman army. And why did God speak to Cornelius in a vision? Because God wanted to bless him so that he would become a true worshiper of God. And I find it interesting to see that as soon as God spoke to Cornelius in a dream, he immediately obeyed and sent his servants to bring Peter to him. Friends, so often we are reluctant to share the gospel to a Muslim or a Hindu or a Sikh or whoever because we think they will not want to hear. And we often need to realize that God is already in the, working in the hearts of many people that he's brought to Canada. And one way he's doing this is through dreams and visions, just like he gave Cornelius. Now, what a difference we see when God speaks to Peter. And you know the story. Here is a born-again, Bible-believing believer. 
And what is God trying to do with Peter? God is trying to turn Peter into a missionary. But to do that, he must first change his heart. And you remember, Peter was having a siesta, a nap. And he saw this vision of a sheep coming down from heaven with different animals on it. And three times God said, get up and eat, Peter. And three times Peter refused. He says, how can I, a pure Jew, eat that which is impure? Now I ask you a question. What was God trying to do in Peter's life? He was trying to change Peter's heart so that he would not see people like Cornelius as unclean because they were not like him. God wanted Peter to have his vision and his passion to bless the nations. But this would mean stepping out of his cultural comfort zone. But friends, I want you to see that God was already working in Peter's heart. Look where he was staying. It says Peter was staying in the home of Simon the Tanner. Now, a tanner worked with dead animals. It wasn't a good kosher R&B for an upstanding Jew like Peter. But maybe God had shown Peter that the gospel could reach an unclean Jew. And Peter remembered what Jesus said, it's not what goeth into a man that maketh him unclean, but that which comes from the heart. Yes, Peter could stay in an unclean Jewish home, but go to those Gentiles? Well, that was just too much. And secondly, notice where Simon the Tanner's home was. Simon the Tanner's home was in Joppa. Now, does Joppa ring any bells for you? Joppa? Jonah? Joppa. God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and share the good news. I want to bless the Ninevites. What did Jonah say? No way, Lord. I want to see them judged. And so he went in the opposite direction and he got to Joppa and he found a boat in Joppa and you know the rest of the story. And God is saying to Peter, Peter, here we are. You're in Joppa. Are you going to be another Jonah? Or are you going to allow me to change your heart so that you will have a heart of love and compassion for people different from yourself? People like Cornelius. Now listen to what some call the conversion of Peter. But God, this is Peter after he got to Cornelius, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean and I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear and does what is right. Can you see why some call this the conversion of Peter? It's not a conversion unto salvation. Peter was, a, was already saved. Jesus was his savior. 
But now he was experiencing Jesus as his Lord, and he now has a heart to reach out to the people who he formerly wanted nothing to do with. Friends, perhaps you were here this morning, and God is speaking to you just like he spoke to Peter. Maybe you've been saying, yeah, I would rather put my offering on the plate to support some missionaries, to go and reach the lost in some far off place. Or maybe you're willing to go on a short-term mission trip for a week to share the good news, and that is good. But when you come back, you're no longer engaged in crossing cultural boundaries to bless the nation right here on our doorstep. And what about you as a church? I've no doubt this church has a vision to engage in global mission to reach the nations in far off places. Perhaps God is wanting you to have intentionality to engage and reach the nations right here on our doorstep. Now, I love the vision of the Tim Center. The church from all nations bringing Christ to all nations. You and I are part of the nations that God has brought to this great city of Toronto. God has blessed you, but he has blessed you in order to be a blessing to the nations. Why missions? God wants the nations of the world to worship him. Where missions? It begins on our doorstep, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Who is a missionary? God wants to do in you and me what he did with Peter, to put his love and compassion in our hearts so that we will step outside of our com cultural comfort zone to share the good news to the nations, both in our doorstep to the ends of the earth. Now, friends, I usually end my message here. But when I asked the person who invited me, how long do I have to speak? Do you know what they said? 45 minutes. <laughs> I never speak more than 30 minutes. So this add-on is especially for you. Because you can endure 45 minutes. Praise God. Very many, few churches can do that. So I want to just conclude seriously, though, with a few practical applications. You know, when I go, and whether it's overseas or in churches here, and talk about being missional in a multicultural context, I like to show this four-lens paradigm. Vision, context, strategy, and structures. This is only going to take a couple of minutes. Vision is at the center. And if it's biblical, vision shouldn't change, just like we saw this morning. God's vision is to bless the nations. And this vision runs through the Bible from Genesis to, to Revelation. Vision doesn't change if it's based on biblical principles. Context, however, context is always changing. I often get a smile on my face because 
I do work with the church just up the street from here. It's the oldest black church. Hey, First Baptist, you know it. And here they are in Chinatown. Their context changed completely. You know, and when context changes, we need to be aware of the changing context. We need to exegete the scripture to get the vision, and we need to exegete the context to understand the changes in our ministry context. In order that we can develop strategies that will apply the vision effectively in our changing context. And you know, the Apostle Paul was a master in adapting the good news to different contexts. In Acts chapter 13, he's in the synagogue in Antioch. He greets them, fellow Israelites. He brings out the Old Testament scrolls. He talks about their, their Old Testament history. He says Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianics, uh, messianic promises. He's speaking to Jews. That's his context. And then he moves in Acts 14 to Lystra, and he's speaking to a bunch of pagan Gentiles. There's no Old Testament scriptures. He doesn't even mention Jesus. He talks about God being the provider and sustainer for their lives. That's all he can handle at the beginning. And then Paul moves to Athens. And he walks around to these philosophical Greeks. And he looks at their idols and he says, I can see that you're very religious. You've even got an idol to an unknown God. Let me tell you about this idol. And then he starts quoting their poets. Friends, surely Paul's strategy of adapting the vision to his changing context is one we need to consider and implement as we seek to bless the nations on our doorstep. And I'm just throwing this out as a challenge to you. As you strategize on reaching the nations in your Samaria, let me encourage you not to do it alone. Find kingdom partners who will work with you in your mission to bless the nation. The Tim Center, Lausanne, Canada, are working to find effective strategies to bless the nations. Let me just share a couple of those. First one is Lausanne, Canada. Lausanne, Canada has so many resources about engaging in global mission. These are just two, the Lausanne Covenant, the Cape Town Commitment. If your church wants a solid theology of holistic global mission, Lausanne, Canada has got excellent resources that will help. Or Tim Center in Lausanne, we've developed websites. One is You Reach Toronto, Urban Resources Assisting Churches in Toronto. It's packed with resources about understanding your changing context. There's a hundred national profiles of where people are, where they live, the demographic information, research on, on how to reach them. We've just launched an app called P4N, Pray for the Nations. And we've identified, just to begin with, 20 unreached people groups in the Toronto area. And we want to partner with churches like this 
to say, how can we partner together to bring the church together with people who are in the trenches reaching these unreached people group? They need prayer, they need support, they need volunteers, they need interns. And how can we bring those two uh, together? And then finally, we're developing intercultural leaders. And two of your leaders, I won't mention who they are, but two of your key leaders are taking an online course right now on developing intercultural competency for, for missional ministry. You know, our heart is so glad when churches reach out and say, we want to partner with you. What can we do to help? So, in closing, I've had the opportunity, I don't know why, but in the last three months I've spoken to three significant Chinese churches. And I don't know a word of Chinese. But all of them are talking about being missional. And I get confused because when I go to these churches, 98% in the audience are Chinese. There's one who isn't. I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You want to be missional in a multicultural context. What does that mean? What's your strategy? What's your structures for doing that? Well, anyway, I was at this church in North York last month. And I was teaching Sunday school and I put up the paradigm, you know, this paradigm here of vision context. And so someone asked me, Pastor Cousins, can you give us an example of adapting strategy and structures to the changing context? And this is what I said. You know, if you want to reach non-Chinese with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see converts coming about because your second and third generation are reaching these non-Chinese. How are you going to integrate them into the church? And so I give them this idea. I said, perhaps you might begin with starting a small cell group ministry and when you see non-chinese coming to the lord through the witness of the second and third generation rather than trying to bring them to this church now this might sound heresy excuse me rather than bring to this church start a small cell maybe there's a couple of chinese leading it but maybe the rest come from different cultures and you have 10 people from different cultures and you start five or six of these cell groups and now you've got 40 people and, and, and the minority of the 40 are Chinese but it's the Chinese reaching out and you bring those church those cell groups together for a time of worship and celebration and so what you are doing is you're creating a multicultural church within the framework of a larger what we would call a mono cultural Chinese church. Now my time is up. And I'm not saying this is the answer for your church or for every church. I am just saying that we need to pray and ask God to give us wisdom and boldness to put new wine, not into old wine skins, but into new wine skins for the sake 
of the gospel and for the blessing of the nations. Let's bow in a word of prayer.